I thought we'd begin with a game. Everybody loves a game, don't they? So here's the game, okay? This game is called Fortune Cookie, Proverb or Prosperity Preacher. And what you have to do, I'm going to read some statements and then you've got to guess the source of that particular statement. Easy, right? Okay, so here we go. Question number one. The gossip of bad people gets them into trouble. The conversation of good people keeps them out of trouble. Hands up if you think that's a proverb. Prosperity preacher. Fortune cookie. All right, that's actually a proverb. <laughs> proverb 12, verse 13. But it's in the message translation so that no one would uh, be able to discover them particularly. All right, question number two. The road to glory will be rocky but fulfilling. Fortune cookie, hands up. Prosperity preacher, proverb. All right, that one is fortune cookie. Okay. Question number three. You're not responsible for other people's happiness. You're only responsible for your own. Fortune cookie, hands up, fortune cookie. Proverb, hopefully no one says proverb. <laughs> Prosperity preacher, and you would be right. Last one, here we go. Judge not each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Prosperity preacher. Fortune cookie. Proverb. All right, we definitely need to read Proverbs because that was a fortune cookie. <laughs> All right. Well, Proverbs is a really unusual book, isn't it? And it, at first glance, it appears to be the result of an accident rather than um, some careful planning. There's no mention of great Old Testament events. There's no mention of the covenant. There's no mention of the law. In fact, there's very little explicit talk about God at all. The bulk of the book is short, pithy, one-sentence statements that, like sound bites, if you like, are just sort of left hanging out there without any explanation or context from the verses around them. And it's a really difficult book to read. And yet, when the Apostle Paul wanted to talk about humility and unity in Romans chapter 12, he went to the book of Proverbs. When the Apostle Peter wanted to talk about conceit, about overlooking offences, about judgment, he went to the book of Proverbs. When, the, when James wanted to talk about pride and presumption, he used the book of Proverbs. When the writer to the Hebrews wanted to encourage Christians who were enduring suffering, he went to the book of Proverbs. And Jesus himself used Proverbs 25 verses 6 and 7 as a, a basis for the parable that you find in Luke 14. So the, the Proverbs were important to the New Testament writers and to Jesus himself. And so hopefully we'll discover by the end of this sermon that the book of Proverbs is important for us as well. Now, Proverbs is all about wisdom. That might be the one thing that we know about the book of Proverbs. It's the prime example of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and it fits into a section that also includes Job, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Now, the first question we should tackle in thinking about Proverbs is, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, let me put it like this. Information is about facts. Knowledge is about collating related facts together so that they make sense. And wisdom is kind of using that knowledge to be able to live 
rightly in the eyes of God. Now, we live in an age where never before has so much knowledge been so widely available to us. Thanks to Google, thanks to the internet, we now have almost limitless amounts of knowledge at our fingertips. But at the same time as the kind of the knowledge line on the graph has, has exponentially shot up, un unfortunately I fear that the, the wisdom line on the graph has gone down. So we've got more knowledge, but I don't think it's making us any wiser. We don't really know how to live well. And I'm not just talking about us, I'm talking about society in general. We make lots of spur-of-the-moment decisions. We make selfish decisions. We make short-sighted decisions. And because of the, the multitude of diverse knowledge sources out there in our fast-paced world, it has made us, as Christians in particular, um, distracted and forgotten. And we've forgotten how good God's Word is. We've forgotten how closely we need to pay attention to the beauty and the simplicity and the power of God's Word. Amidst all of the noise, the data, the trends, the traffic, the turmoil, the bad advice that's out there in the world, for Christians, the Bible remains and should be our sole, trustworthy, all-sufficient source of unchanging truth and timeless wisdom. Now, of course, wisdom flows throughout the whole Bible, but it's particularly concentrated in the book of Proverbs. And it is a unique, compact presentation that God has graciously given to us to enable people like you and me to live uh, at, before him in a way that makes sense with the way that he's made us, the way that he's made the world, and who he has declared himself to be. Unfortunately, we treat Proverbs like a reference book that we just sort of pull off the shelf to help us when we're stumped with life's difficulties. It's a sort of a, oh yeah, I'm sure there's a, a biblical life hack in the book of Proverbs that will help me have an easier life. And that's sometimes how we treat the book of Proverbs. But God is going to tell us, I hope by the end of this sermon, as we look at the book of Proverbs, that the wisdom that he's given us is supposed to reset us in this world. It's supposed to help us approach life with a profoundly God-centered approach. And it's going to help us in the art of skillful living for the glory of God. Wisdom is living a disciplined and a prudent life in the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs is going to show us a down-to-earth way of handling day-to-day -day life in God's world in submission to his will. And the book of Proverbs addresses all of the common things that you and I face. It's going to speak into all of the activities that we do and the themes of normal life. So it's going to address diligence and laziness, friendship, speech, marriage, parenting, domestic peace, concern for the poor, how we approach our work, good manners, how we handle our money, eternity and more. In fact, we'll find that God's wisdom is relevant to everything because God made everything and he knows how it's supposed to function. So we're going to begin by reading the first seven verses of the book, which is the preamble to the introduction, all right, because it sets for us, sets up for us the, the basic understanding, the outline of the book. So would you read with me Proverbs 1 verses 1 to 7? This is God's word. The Proverbs of Sol Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple 
knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're told in verse 1 that Solomon, who was the wisest man in Israel's history, because God had granted him wisdom, and you could read about that in 1 Kings 3 and 1 Kings chapter 4, Solomon is the main author uh, of the book of Proverbs. And he's also, although he's not wholly and solely responsible for everything that we'll read this month, he did play a significant production, a significant role in the production of this book. So he was an author, he was a collator, he was a collaborator, and he was the editor, and he has uh, a, a major hand in the role of producing the book of Proverbs that we have in our hands. Now, Proverbs is actually a collection of wisdom from different sources. It's an, the posh word is, it's an anthology of wisdom. It comes from seven different sources, and we can tell that because the book is in seven distinct sections, each marked with a verse that tells us where that particular portion of the book has come from. So you'll see in your outline the breakdown that I got from uh, an Old Testament scholar called Bruce Waltke. So chapters one to nine are the introduction. Then there's a second section, which is chapter 10 to, verse 20, uh, to chapter 22, which is Solomon's Proverbs. So that's the bulk of the book. Then there's the sayings of the wise. The fourth section is further sayings of the wise. Then the section five is uh, Solom more of Solomon's Proverbs, but this time they've been collected by Hezekiah's men. So some 300 years after Solomon, Hezekiah's men have inserted, under God's authority, inserted that section into the book. Then there's the sayings of Agor, and the sayings of King Lemuel. And those two sections are, are authored by people who were not Jews. They were not Israelites. So that's, that's um, from the surrounding nations that they gleaned wisdom. So that's how it breaks down. So seven sections. And the, what we just read is the preamble to the introduction, where it clearly states the goal and the purpose of the whole compendium, that God has given us this book to instill wisdom in his people, a wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord, that works itself out into practical everyday living. If you look at the breakdown again, although there's seven sections, as we read together, what we'll notice is that there's really two halves to the book. There's, the, there's chapters one to nine, which is the first half of the book, which is really the introduction of the book, and then there's the rest of the book, 10 to 31. Now, the first section of the book, chapters 1 to 9, are an extended sort of teaching on the topic of wisdom. It's, it's more prose. It reads more like a normal biblical piece of work, if you like. And those nine chapters are there to convince us that the second section is worth reading. So the goal and the purpose of the first nine chapters is to explain to us why wisdom is so important and why wisdom is so valuable to get hold of. And then the second section is more the wisdom, the pithy kind of statements that we are more familiar with, perhaps, as we, in our understanding of Proverbs. Now, the, in order to really understand the book, and the key to understanding the book is really Proverbs chapter 9. 
So if you just flick with me to Proverbs chapter 9, this will help us, I hope, understand it. Because in Proverbs chapter 9, we meet two women. Now, if you like, imagine the, imagine the scene. The reader, so you and I this morning, uh, and the original audience, and anybody who ever read the, the book of Proverbs, when you get to chapter 9, you're almost invited into the story. You're invited to join into the metaphor and imagine yourself to be a young man or woman walking the path of life. Well, really a young man, walking the path of life. And as this young man travels, okay, he hears the voice of two women who are vying for his attention. And both of them are described in chapter 9 for us. Their characteristics are described. The kind of women that they are are, is described to us. And then we're told they're making the same appeal to this young man. So in chapter 9, verse 4, the first woman, woman makes her appeal And she says this to him, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed and leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And then the second woman woman makes her appeal in verse 16. She says this, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that, they, that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So we've got these two women, which actually the, uh, Solomon probably, because he, he probably is responsible for this first section, is saying these two women are personified, they're, they're, they're there to personify wisdom and folly. These two women are wisdom and folly. The first woman who speaks is is Lady Wisdom, if you like. Lady Wisdom has a house, we're told, on the top of the highest point of the city. That's chapter 9, verse 3. Now, to have a, a house on the top and the highest point of the city was an indication of your status in the city because in the ancient Near East, the person who had their house on the highest point of the city was the god of that city. And so this observation only confirms what we've learned in chapters 1 to 8, that wisdom stands for God's wisdom and ultimately for God himself. She is a representative figure, this woman in in chapter 9, of God himself. Now on the other hand, there's the second woman is folly. We're told in verse 14 of chapter 9 that she also has a house located at the highest point of the city, which probably is supposed to indicate to us that she stands for all of the wisdom of the, of the deities of the surrounding nations, the, the false gods, the idols that the Israelites were so drawn to, people like Baal and Molech and Asherah. And so there's this kind of presentation in chapter 9, the climactic chapter of the introduction, which is laid before people like you and I, and there's a choice that is made. The choice that faces every reader of Proverbs is this. Wisdom and folly are calling out to us. Who are we going to choose? It's a simple choice, but it's a really, really hard choice. They both call us to dine with them. They both call us to intimate relationships with them. Ultimately, they both call us to worship them. 
And the reader of Proverbs is presented with this choice. Who will you follow? Where will you turn in? Who will you eat with? Who will you embrace? Wisdom or folly? God or or Baal? Yahweh or Molech? Who are you going to choose? And that was the choice that lay before every ancient reader of Proverbs. And it's the same choice that lays before you and I this morning. Now, unfortunately, many, many times the Israelites tried to compromise. They tried to put the two together and enjoy a little bit of God and a little bit of Baal or Asherah or Molech. And that was why the prophets came constantly to speak in the, in the Old Testament, because they were saying, no, compromise isn't just putting one bit together with another bit and getting on with it. No, compromise is actually apostasy. It's turning away from the true God to false gods. And there is, there is disaster in that. We saw that in the book of Judges. When you do what is right in your own eyes, it only ever leads to destruction and disaster. And so the choice faced before us as it was the ancient readers, is who we're going to follow. Is it going to be God alone, or is it going to be the false gods who are really no gods? Now, understanding that then opens the door to how we read Proverbs 10 to, to 31, because we're, always, we're supposed to read what we read in those chapters in light of, I've got a choice to make. I've got a decision to make. These are not just life hacks. These are not just some good advice for us, like, you know, an early bird catches the worm. Or never sit down with a light bulb in your back pocket. You know, those, those are handy kind of things that we should know. But Proverbs is so much more than that. It's the choice between wisdom and folly. Ultimately, it's the choice between life and death. Now, these chapters granted flummox people. Chapters 10 to 31 flummox people. So I want to just spend the rest of our time giving some tips and guidelines on how we can best read Proverbs together. So I've got six tips. I was going to call this sermon six life hacks for reading the biblical life hacks, but I don't think that that would have worked. But these are six guidelines for reading the book of Proverbs. And I've put them under the title Beware. Uh, Not because it's dangerous, but just we should be aware of these things. Beware. Number one, beware. Common sense is required. Well, that's good. That should be good news for all of us, right? Hopefully we've got just a, a small amount of common sense. But when we read the book of Proverbs, common sense is required. Use your basic logic and common sense to understand what's in front of you. Now, Sure, there will sometimes be some difficult things that are obscure to us because we don't have the cultural background to understand everything that was written 3,000 years ago. I get that. But don't seek to read into the proverb more than is there. Don't try and read between the lines for some hidden meaning. Each proverb is given to, to try and capture one basic idea. Just one basic idea. It's not given to exhaust the topic uh, of that particular idea. It's not the essential, distilled down, only thing that could be said about that. It is just capturing one basic idea about that topic, but it's given in a way that is supposed to be memorable so that we can remember it. So when you get to the book of Proverbs, common sense is required. Number two. Beware the characters. 
Throughout the book of Proverbs, we will encounter three main characters, okay? And usually they are caricatures of, of wisdom, folly, and the simple. And by caricature, I mean, do you, you know those people who kind of paint on the, on the side of the, the promenade on the beach holiday or something? And then they always, you know, you, I dread sitting there and having my picture taken because I wonder about how I'm going to look at the end of it because they exaggerate features to try and make it easily identifiable that it's you. So I don't know how they would just draw me with no hair and a big kind of beer belly or something like that. And I, you know, but these are caricatures so that we can easily identify them. Okay, so you'll meet three characters. The first character will be the wise person. Now, the wise person is one who is learning and making progress in the art of skillful living, living in God's world, in God's ways, according to God's laws, for God's glory. They're the wise. They will also be known as the righteous, the upright, the diligent, the understanding, and the prudent. Now, they're not different groups of people. They're just the same they're different names for the same group, for wise people. Righteous, upright, diligent, understanding, prudent are the wise. We'll meet them. We'll also meet the fool. Fools are the opposite of wise people. Sometimes we use the word fool to mean clown, oaf, moron, idiot. But in the Bible, a fool is one who is choosing not to live God's way. A fool is one who has turned away from God and spurned his advice and instead is listening to himself or to other fools and is doing what is right in his own eyes. So we should watch out for the fool. Watch out for the wise, watch out for the fool. The fool is also known as the wicked or the lazy or the sluggard or those who lack sense. Again, not different groups of people but different names for the same group that are fools. And then thirdly and finally, the third group, the third character that we'll meet is the simple. And these are people who have yet to commit to God and his wisdom or to foolishness. They, they're sort of on the fence. They, they haven't made up their mind yet. Now they're easily led into some things, but they haven't committed yet. And so we'll meet the simple. And so really, you know, there's a lot of call to the simple to be wise. So beware the characters. Now thirdly, beware the language that the authors use. Proverbs is rich with poetic language, with picture language uh, and descriptive language. So it, in some ways it's, it's really easy to read, it's rich, it's engaging and, and other times it sometimes leaves you scratching your head because there's so many different types of language that's used. So you'll find that there are sayings, there are observations about life, there are instructions, there are admonitions, there are prohibitions. It's full of similes and metaphors, there's allegory, there's comparison, there's rhetorical questions, there's calls to action and to... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, to attention. There's reflections on the writer's experience. There's beatitudes, Old Testament beatitudes. There's repetition. There's repetition. There's catchwords. There's repetition. There's inclusions and envelopes where the writer says something at the beginning and then he kind of says something else and then he says the same thing that he said at the beginning at the end and it's a sort of an envelope to highlight that particular point. There's acrostic poetry where each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we'll see all of those different kinds of things. You'll also see overstatements and oversimplifications that the authors use to make a point. 
And when we read, we should remember there's no footnotes, there's no small print, and there's no list of exceptions, although there are a list of exceptions to the rule, although there are exceptions to the rules. But we're just not told those. So we've just got to be on our guard. We've got to use common sense. We've got to work out who he's addressing, and we've got to beware the language. Now, here's where it really gets interesting, or not. You should also look out for parallelism, okay? And I wrote, put this on your sheet because it's important to understand, but I don't want us to get bogged down in it and it turn into an English lecture, okay? But there's three different types of parallelism in the book of Proverbs in chapters 10 to 31. First of all, there's synonymous parallelism, okay? That's where the second line of the proverb reiterates the first line of the proverb to reinforce its meaning. So one basic point is being made but more grace and clarity and nuance is added by the inclusion of the second line. So, for example, in Proverbs 1, verse 8, Solomon says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So that's synonymous parallelism, where the second line about the mother's teaching is given to reinforce the first line about the father's instruction. So that's synonymous parallelism, so look out for that. Now, secondly, antithetical parallelism. <laughs> Who knew that we would be doing this this morning? Antithetical parallelism is where the second line is opposite to the first line, and it sounds contradictory. But the point is, it's stressing the importance of choosing wisely. So an example of this is Proverbs 3, verse 33, where the author says, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So this kind of opposed to one another. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, and the, he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. It's antithetical parallelism, opposites. Thirdly, synthetic parallelism. That's where lines two and three are added to complete the thought that was began in line one. So, for example, Proverbs 3, verse 12, the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father in whom he delights. So, the first line makes one basic point and then the second line adds to it, it develops it, it enhances it, it elaborates on that point to make a stronger point. So just beware of those things. Beware. So Because sometimes you could read it and you could think, well, he just said that and that sounds opposite, so which one am I supposed to think? And actually, he's, he's done that on purpose to make a point. He's not confused. He's done it to make a point. So beware the language. Number four, beware reading Proverbs in isolation. While Proverbs might appear random and somewhat unconnected, they still need to be read in the wider context of the whole book of Proverbs. Okay? And more importantly, they need to be read in light of the whole teaching of Scripture. Individual pro Proverbs are partial. And by that, I mean they don't always contain the whole truth that's to be made. So, for example, turn to Proverbs 17 with me. Proverbs chapter 17. We'll do this one together. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 8, 
Solomon says this, a bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. A bribe is like a magic stone in the hands of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. We might read that and we say, right, now in order to prosper in life, I gotta give bribes. Wow, I didn't realize God said that. But if we carry on reading, we get to Proverbs 17, same chapter, verse 23, where the writer of the Solomon says this, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. So now we're told, oh, bribery is condemned. Bribery is what the wicked do, not what the righteous do, not what the wise do. Okay, so we just need to be careful. Don't read them in isolation because if we just dig for, for you know, moralistic kind of fortune cookie style truth, we'll end up with fool's gold. And it'll actually be bad advice to us. So we've got to read the whole book. We've got to read individual Proverbs in light of the whole book of Proverbs and in light of the whole counsel of God in order for us to be truly wise. Fifth, we need to beware absolutizing Proverbs. Now, what I mean by that is this. Proverbs is not a collection of simplistic formulas for guaranteed success. We could, read, we could so easily read Proverbs and treat it like a vending machine. We pop our coin in the bottom, we press the button, and out pops the thing that we want the chocolate bar or the can of Coke or whatever. Proverbs is not like that. Put this in, you'll get that out. Okay, it's not a guaranteed formula for success. It is wisdom and guidance to help us make wise decisions in life so that we live in a way that pleases and exalts God. The Proverbs are not do this and 100% you will get that outcome. Like somehow we're supposed to name and claim these promises that they offer some infallible guarantee of spiritual and practical blessing. Proverbs instead are true observations about life that, that, that generally tell us God's basic attitude towards a particular topic and thus commend it or discourage certain behaviours in the Christian. They also make observations that might typically come be borne out over time. So perhaps the most famous one of these is Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way that he should go and even when he is old he will not depart from it. Many of us perhaps who are parents have sort of named and claimed that and then struggled because our children have walked away from the Lord and we said no, 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 it says in God's word, train up a child in the way he should go and, and when he is old he will not depart from it and I've done that but he has departed from it. And what we need to see is that we must be careful not to absolutize Proverbs. They are generally true, but they don't tell us the whole truth in one sentence, if you like. We need the rest of God's word and his wisdom to understand that. So sometimes Proverbs are not, pop this in, get this out. Sometimes they're only true in certain situations as well. Think about this, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So on the one hand, the author is saying, answer a fool 
and you'll just be like him, so you better not to answer him at all. And then, on the other hand, answer a fool, or otherwise he's going to think he's wise, so you have to answer him. And you could be left thinking, well, do I answer him or do I not answer him? And the answer is, maybe. <laughs> You've got to be wise enough to know what's required. Sometimes you don't say anything to a fool and you just let them display their foolishness to the world. And other times you say, no, mate, come on. We need to talk about this. So we need to be wise to discern when we need to exercise wisdom. And Proverbs will teach us that. And finally, sometimes Proverbs do not always appear immediately true, but they will ultimately be true. Think about Proverbs 16, verse 17. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, all of his enemies are at peace with him. Wonderful, but what about Jesus? He was the wisest person that ever lived. He was the only person in the whole of history who always did what pleased the Lord and yet enemies murdered him. Well, this proverb might not immediately be true, but it will ultimately be true. And so when we read, we just got to be careful. We don't put God on our timetable. We don't think that because the proverb says do this and God will do that, that that means he will ultimately, uh, he will immediately fulfill it. His timing is always perfect, but rarely predictable. And all of his scriptures will, will find their yes and amen in Jesus, but some will be fulfilled sooner, some will be fulfilled later, and some will only be fulfilled be fulfilled in the age to come. So beware absolutizing Proverbs. Now you'll also see on your sheet some six useful questions that I've included just to help us to read Proverbs. So these are the kind of things that you might want to ask yourself as you read through them. I won't go through them now for the sake of time, but they're useful. So keep this sheet if you can. And then number six, beware the goal of reading Proverbs. This is where I want to finish. Why do we read the Bible? Well, I think we read it because we want to know God, to love God, and to obey God. And Proverbs will help us to do that. It will help us to avoid paths that lead to ruin, and it will help us onto paths that lead to blessing. But the ultimate goal of Proverbs is to lead us into an ever-increasing, growing, deepening, closer relationship with the all-wise God. It's not just to make us wise, it's to lead us into relationship with the all-wise God. For back to verse 7 of the introduction in chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing him is the proper and ultimate definition of the good life. That's what Jesus prays in John 17 in this high priestly prayer. May they come to know you. So for as good as Proverbs is, and it's good because it's God's word, it's ultimately there to point us to the wisdom of God that is found in Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, that we did when we were doing Corinthians, where Paul says, where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the intellectual? God makes low the wisdom of, the, of this world, and he raises, I'm paraphrasing, and he raises up 
Christ, who is the wisdom of God. So when we read, it's not just to be wiser than the person sitting next to you. We read Proverbs so that we might know the all-wise God. We come to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, so that he might point us to one greater than Solomon. Jesus, the perfect and full display of God's wisdom in this world. For as he says in John 14, verse 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray.